uh, I was actually taking a nap because I haven't slept all week. And my wife came in and said, oh, my God, Joe, Joe, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is blocking near a tandem. Holy cow. Could you believe it? So uh, let me ooh, let me uh, play you this clip so you could take a look at the breaking news that Joe Manchin has said that he is going to vote no. He is going to vote no on uh, Neera Tandon's nomination uh, to be budget chairman. Uh, with Joe Manchin voting no, remember, uh, the Democratic Party right now has a essentially a one-seat, a one-seat um, majority. It's a 50-50 tie between Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. So... Uh, really, Democrats have to have every single Democrat, including the two independents, Angus King and Bernard Sanders, who usually vote with the Democrats. They got to have every single Democrat to vote yes to then make a tie, assuming every Republican votes no. And then Vice President Kamala Harris would break the tie. But if any Democrat strays on Neera Tandon's nomination or any other nomination, Right now, Republicans seem to be voting uh, in lockstep uh, in most things. Uh, as of right now, there is no Republican who has said they're going to vote yes on Neera Tandon's nomination. So that Joe Manchin has the ability to block Neera Tandon's nomination. Uh, let's show you the breaking news. Some breaking news for you now. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia just announced that he will vote against President Biden's pick to lead the Office of Management and Budget, Neera Tandon putting her nomination in jeopardy. Manchin saying in a statement in part, quote, I have carefully reviewed Neera Tandon's public statements and tweets that were personally directed towards my colleagues on both sides of the aisle, from Senator Bernie Sanders to Senator Mitch McConnell and others. I believe her overtly partisan statements will have a toxic and detrimental impact on the important working relationship between members of Congress and the next director of the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, Let's bring in our panel, uh, Alexandra Rojas. Uh, This would be... Biden's first defeat uh, and obviously um, a defeat for Neera Tandon personally because of a bunch of tweets she's done uh, that were rather harsh. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's there's public record of, of those tweets. But the reality is, I think that Joe Manchin is the one being divisive right now. We are in the middle of a public pandemic. Joe Biden was just elected by a huge mandate. Uh, by the American people. We have to deliver as Democrats and we need people in positions of power who are ready and prepared to go big in this moment and not leave anyone behind. The mentality has got to be of the Democratic Party especially, uh, but any elected official, that we have to move quickly to save as many lives as possible. Uh, And I would also point out that he had no problem voting to confirm uh, other appointments of clearly Uh, partisan members uh, when it was the previous Republican administration. There should be no, I think, opposition to to some, you know, folks that are being proposed by the Biden administration who have, you know, clearly are ready to do the work and are ready to get the job done and they feel are the best prepared to do it. So let me let me get something straight here. By the way, that was the executive director. That was the executive director of the Justice Democrats. They are standing for Deira Tandon. Uh, excuse me, you're the progressive group, Justice Democrats, saying Joe Manchin should vote for this train wreck, this corporate shill near a tandem. So first of all, first of all, let's be clear. Uh, you know, at the, this is my enemy uh, is Joe Manchin. 
We are not glorifying Joe Manson. He's a corporate servant. He is a servant of the banks. He is a servant of the fossil fuels. Excuse my French swear jar. He is a servant of big coal. He, if you know West Virginia, I've been down there. Been down there. I covered uh, Paula Jean's race versus Joe Manchin in 2018. He has looked the other way as Cancer Alley uh, has developed in West Virginia. Uh, just blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks of West Virginia residents with cancers due to the coal miners that Joe Manchin has taken money from and bought off and then sold West Virginia citizens down the river. So we're not in love with Joe Manchin here. But, you know, if Biden does something good, I'll credit Biden. If Manchin does something good, I'll credit Manchin. And who would have thought that Joe Manchin has more, I don't want to say moral fortitude, because who knows why he's actually voting against Neera Tandon. But who would have thought that Joe Manchin has more, uh, as, the, as my Jewish brethren would say, chutzpah, than Bernie Sanders? who has pledged to vote for Neera Tandon. And I want to say something. Uh, I want to make it clear here. To me, her tweets aren't even on the top five thing. Her tweets are not even top five of why this woman should not even get a parking pass into the White House, much less be chairwoman of the uh, budget and management office. Number one, first and foremost, she's got no budget experience. Her only experience is literally handing out favors to donors so that Michael Bloomberg and George Soros and other uh, real estate developers, hedge funders, Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and a who's who of corporate and foreign villains would funnel money into the Center for Phony American Progress. That's her only experience with numbers, not actually doing budgets not actually running the budget for the largest economy on planet Earth. Uh, her only experience is literally, you know, trying to be uh, appropriate here, um, handing out, let's just say favors. She has no experience. She has no qualifications for this position. That's number one. You know, the Democrats rightly slammed Trump for putting a bunch of jokers in uh, at, at several positions that had no experience. Neera Tandon's only experience is being a henchwoman for Hillary Clinton and the corporate Democratic establishment. Number two, number two, um, how is she going to, like, build back better and be the budget chairwoman if she is beyond conflicted? This woman has more conflicts of interest than anyone I know. I mean, there's been great reporting out there. Uh, Glenn Greenwald has done it. David Sirota, I have. The Center for American Progress has taken money from every single tentacle of special interest America. She literally WikiLeaks, you know, those terrible Russians. By the way, Julian Assange is still being politically persecuted. And Joe Biden has picked up the, the baton of fascism from President, former President Trump. And he's continuing to go after Julian Assange, which I've covered here, which is outrageous. But, you know, the resistance wine moms, the uh, suburban resistance that put Uncle Joe uh, into office, they, they cared very much. They cared very, very much about Donald Trump's attack, attack on the free press. Joe Biden is trying to keep uh, Julian Assange in prison for the rest of his life. Crickets. Crickets among the resistance. Crickets 
among the corporate media who can care less at this. By the way, sorry to go off on this tangent. There are no charges against Julian Assange. Do people not understand this? He's literally being kept in a Bel, uh, Belfast prison, which, by the way, has a coronavirus outbreak with no charges. The UK judge, she said he can't be extradited. I don't agree with her reasoning, but the bottom line is she said he can't be extradited to the US. They let terrorists, terrorist suspects out on bail pending an appeal. But Julian Assange is still locked in Belfast prison. You tell me, Joe Biden gives a damn about democracy, freedom of the press, or any of that. Belmarsh, excuse me. So she has more conflicts of interest than anybody. WikiLeaks showed uh, in the Podesta leaks that came out in 2016, she was cheering in emails with John Podesta and other corporate scum that, oh, you know, I just got a big, uh, big donation from Michael Bloomberg and so on and so on and so on. And this is who you want to put in in a chairman position? I said the same thing, by the way, when Trump was putting Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State, basically making ExxonMobil the Secretary of State. What's the major difference here? She essentially was a, is, it, is a walking vessel for everything that's wrong with Washington, D.C. She should has no business being in Congress, uh, excuse me, budget chairman. But there's another element here. And this, frankly... You know, I, I'm, I'm a Bernie guy. You know this. But I'm also not a Bernie wor- worshiper. And we have to, we have to call out Bernie Sanders here. We have to call out Bernie Sanders here. Because, first of all, we also have to say, Bernie Sanders, okay? We don't need to get into a whole relitigation of the Democratic primary. We don't have to get into a whole relitigation of, oh, Bernie, you know, he sold us out. He shouldn't have endorsed Biden, whatever. You could think whatever you want on that. He said he was going to support the Democratic nominee, whoever it was, and he honored his word. That's how I look at it. But what did you get? What did you get, Bernie Sanders, for dropping out early? You dropped out in March. You didn't have to do that. You apparently didn't make as a condition of giving him your endorsement then, your full-throated endorsement, including going around the country physically during a pandemic to try and get this jerk off, this corporate warmonger, in. You didn't even get a cabinet position. That would have been first out of the gate. If I'm going to endorse you now, if I'm going to use my email list to try and carry your your, uh, politically dead carcass over the finish line— this is the position I want. And oh, by the way, you are not to, you are not to put X, Y, and Z person in your administration. Uh, Neera Tandon would have been at the top of that list, don't you think? Don't you think if you're Bernie Sanders, number one, I want labor secretary or X, Y, and Z. Number two, I want these people. I mean, you can't go over the top, but you know, there's a thing called leverage. There's a thing called political negotiations. And he apparently didn't get anything. And now we're finding out, this is going to be my next story after this, now we're finding out that the, I guess the one thing that Bernie demanded, a $15 minimum wage, Biden's walking away from that. Shocker. So, Bernie, what the hell did you get for dropping out in March, for not demanding a cabinet position, 
for not stipulating, which is kind of common practice in politics, if you have leverage, uh, you're going to give me X, Y, and Z. Uh, you're not going to put, uh, you know, LMNOP in your administration. What did he get? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I'm not going to get into sources, but I do know people in Bernie's world. I'll put it that way. And no, I'm not talking about near, uh, Nina Turner that feel the same way that are stunned that, you know, okay, if you wanted to say, you don't have to agree with it, but if you wanted to say for argument's sake, uh, listen, we got to get rid of Trump. Uh, you know, I don't like that he's out there for Biden. I didn't like that he was out there for Hillary, but now it's not the time. We've got to get rid of Trump. And then after that, it's, you know, no holds barred. No holds barred against, uh, uh, against Biden. Okay. You don't have to agree with that, but you could have taken that. Well, Trump's been out for a month now. Where is the no holds barred against Joe Biden? Didn't Bernie Sanders? I recall Bernie Sanders saying we get Trump out and then we fight on day one to move Joe Biden left. Well, he literally spit in your face, Bernie. He literally spit in your face, putting Neera Tandon. Forget the tweets for a second. Forget the tweets of Neera Tandon. Neera Tandon and the Center for Phony American Progress was instrumental in pushing total bull to the media during the 2016 primary, uh, pushing Bernie as a racist, pushing Bernie as a sexist, pushing Bernie as an angry old white man, tone deaf on race. Yeah, tone deaf on race. The guy who got arrested uh, protesting for civil rights while Joe Biden was out making up stories about, you know, about meeting with Nelson Mandela in apartheid South Africa. Neera Tandon has a whole army of bots. She has had them for years. They've gone after Bernie. They've gone after Nina Turner. They've gone after Susan Sarandon. Uh, when I was falsely accused of a heinous, heinous thing in 2017, they went after me. Do you know Neera Tandon tweeted hashtag Jordan 2? I'm not making that up. She tweeted hashtag Jordan 2. So the fact that Bernie, you know, Bernie, a lot of people say, um, you know, he's, he's, a, he's, he's bigger. You know, he, he looks at the big picture. Well, you're looking at the big picture and your idea of the big picture, Bernie, is putting, you know, holding, biting your tongue and putting her in. Here you have Joe Biden, who, if you watch that hostage video, you remember Bernie did that hostage live stream with Biden when he dropped out? They did a little live stream together. And Biden, Bernie, Bernie, Biden said, do you have any questions, Bernie? And Bernie said, yeah, Joe, I, in fact, I do. Um, will you pledge to support a $15 minimum wage? That's my Bernie accent. And Joe said, Joe said, absolutely, absolutely. That's really the main thing that Bernie pushed for Biden to support. He knew that Biden wasn't going to support Medicare for all. He knew he's not going to get him on the Green New Deal, canceling student debt. So he pushed him on a $15 minimum wage, and Biden said all of these progressive things about a $15 minimum wage. But now, all of a sudden, well, about that $15 minimum wage. Biden privately tells governors minimum wage hike likely is not happening, at least right now. This is from Politico. While Joe Biden met with a group of mayors and governors last week, he bluntly told them, to get ready for a legislative defeat 
his proposed minimum wage hike, hike was unlikely to happen, he said, at least in the near term. Quote, I really want this in there, but I just don't, it just doesn't look like we can do it because of reconciliation, referring to budget reconciliation. Biden told the group, according to a person in the room, quote, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give up. But right now we have to prepare for this not making it. The comments, which were confirmed by two other people familiar with the conversation, were the furthest Biden has gone in conceding the coming axing of the $15 an hour minimum wage provision from his first major legislative package. And they suggest that the president is more inclined to manage the fallout of it not being included than to pursue long shot political capital consuming efforts to fight for its insertion. Sitting in the Oval Office with Republicans and Democrats elected officials last Friday to advocate for his 1.9 trillion COVID relief package, he didn't hide his skepticism. Quote, doesn't look like we can do it, he said of the minimum wage hike. So where do you even begin with this horseshit? Excuse my French. First of all, first of all, the Congressional Budget Office has said you can put you can put the $15 minimum wage in as part of budget reconciliation. Senator Bernie Sanders bill to hike the federal minimum wage to $15 an hour would increase the deficit by 54 billion over a decade. Who cares? Congress's independent budget scorekeeper estimated Monday. The prediction of a deficit pileup could work in Sanders' favors as he fights to include the minimum wage increase in the package that Democrats are crafting to enact Biden's $1.9 trillion economic relief. Under the fast-track budget process that Democrats could use to clear the aid package with just 51 votes of the Senate, the bill must have a direct and substantial impact on federal spending, revenue, or the debt. So the Congressional Budget Office score is a boon for Democrats fighting for the minimum wage hike to be included, even if Biden cast doubt on whether it would pass muster under Senate rules. Quote, what this means is that we clearly raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour under the rules of reconciliation, Bernie said. Quote, let's be clear, we are never going to get 10 Republicans to increase the minimum wage through regular order, said Sanders, chair of the Senate Budget Committee, The only way to increase the minimum wage to $15 an hour is to pass with 51 votes through budget reconciliation. So you know what this really is, folks? You know the bullshit technicality that the Republicans used not to convict President Trump, which he should have been convicted, by the way. Uh, They said, well, you know, the Constitution, the Constitution says uh, you can only convict a, a sitting president. You can't remove You know, you can't remove um, a president who's not in office anymore. You have tons of constitutional scholars who say that's not true. You can. So essentially, Joe Biden is using a technicality that's not even true. The CBO has scored the $15 minimum wage. They have said it has a budgetary effect. They claim it would increase the budget deficit of 54 uh, 54 billion dollars over 10 years whatever modern monetary theory that's all smoke and mirrors anyway we have the money we print the money for war we print the money for tax cuts deregulation for biden's donors mcconnell's donors so let's print the money for working people for once huh how about that so biden is totally full of shit. excuse my french uh it can be included in budget reconciliation but i think the key 
in that political story was he doesn't want to use the political capital, i.e. fight for something that Biden, his de the Demo corporate Democrats like Pelosi, Schumer, Dick Durbin, Steny Hoyer, all of these corporate Neanderthals don't see as an urgent priority. Well, I would take I would say if they leave Washington and they go talk to the Uber drivers or they go talk to the McDonald's workers or they go talk to the workers at Walmart, Target, Whole Foods, we could go on and on and on. They would tell you it is an urgent priority to raise the minimum wage to $15. And why this is so, so disastrous, it wouldn't even be raised to $15 right away. We're talking 2025 it would be raised. So that's if it passed today. You're not getting it till 2025, which I don't agree with in the first place. I don't know why Bernie Sanders agreed with that in the first place. By 2025, if you're looking at inflation, the minimum wage, a hook, you know, connected to inflation, it should already be today closer to $22, $23 an hour. In 2025, it's probably going to be closer to $26, $27 an hour if we're adjusting for inflation over the last three decades. So this is ridiculous. He's not telling the truth, i.e. lying. And why, again, I hate to single just Bernie Sanders. I, I hate to single just Bernard Sanders because it's not just Bernie. What are these people doing? Colin Tooley with the amazing graphic. AOC, she's doing great things for Texas. We credit her. She's done way more than Ted Cruz, who was too busy getting on a flight to Cancun. A Neanderthal he is. Oh, I hope Larry Jared and my father isn't watching because I'm cursing a lot today. But AOC, credit to her. She is doing a lot for Texas. But what are you doing otherwise? Where is AOC on Biden backtracking on a $15 minimum wage? Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna, Pramila Jayapal, Mark Pocan, newly elected Jamal Bowman, Cori Bush, Marie Newman, Mondaire Jones. If there is a God, Nina Turner will join them. Like, where is the progressive fight? Where is it? I'm not relitigating force to vote. We're talking about active moonwalking by Biden. We're talking active moonwalking. Now, there's a lot of things that we need fight. So, you know, you could say Jordan devil's advocate, you know, they're busy doing other things. Well, what are they busy doing? You have a president of the United States who... One of the few promises he made that were anywhere near progressives was the $15 minimum wage. And now he's saying, oh, no, the Senate parliamentarian, I don't think it will, I don't think it you know, works in budget reconciliation. Give me a break. Can you imagine, do you think Donald Trump, do you think a President Donald Trump or a President Tom Cotton or a President Paul Ryan, even a President Mitt, uh, Mitt Romney, would say, you know, I really want those tax cuts for corporations, but I just, according to Senate procedure, it won't work through budget reconciliation. Do you know that Trump's $1.8 trillion tax blow job to corporations and his donors, they use budget reconciliation for? But again, Bernie, quiet as a mouse. AOC, quiet as a mouse. All of them, quiet as a mouse. And I I just have a genuine question. I'm not doing this for clicks. I'm not doing this to be contrarian. I'm not doing this 
just to be like, you know, adversarial against the progressives because I'm a progressive, you know, on the on the policies. I'm with all of them. Bernie, AOC, Roe, Pramila Jayapal, Cori Bush, who I met in person and I really, really like. She has an amazing story. But the question is, why? That is really the question. Why are you not fighting? I'm not talking about physically fighting or violence. I'm talking about what is the risk of publicly shaming President Biden for breaking his promises, for totally unnecessarily saying we can't put this $15 minimum wage in the budget reconciliation process that we're putting the COVID relief. What is the risk? You're the budget chairman, Bernie. He can't move you to the back anymore. Like, what is the risk? You don't have Trump as a threat anymore. He's not going to threaten you for Mar-a-Lago. Okay? Biden's president, and we were promised by the progressives, let's get Trump out, and then we fight him on day one. Well, he's already moonwalking on 25 things. Did you hear his ridiculous answer to that woman who asked him about canceling student loan debt? She says, why are you stopping at 10000 You know, I think at a bare minimum, we need to do 50000 He answers very, very firmly, I will not do that. He also, I mean, Anderson Cooper, Andy Cooper didn't challenge him on this, but he also uh, said, you know, I took executive action to temporarily halt foreclosures. That's a tell. That is a tell, my friends. He's temporarily halting foreclosures during the pandemic. Well, what happens when the pandemic is over? What happens when the pandemic is over for foreclosures, for evictions? He's temporarily doing these things. So is Biden going to stop the mass crisis that's looming of evictions, foreclosures? His BFF, President Obama, didn't. Obama let the banks foreclose on millions of people who were who were preyed on by Wall Street during the 2008-2009 financial crash. It seems like President Biden is saying, yeah, I'm I'm putting a Band-Aid here, eviction moratorium, foreclosure moratorium. That's a good thing. It's good good that Biden has those things in now for a temporary halt, credit to him. But what about a permanent? Why should people be foreclosed if they lost their jobs through a pandemic that was no fault of their own. Why should people be evicted? Why should people have to pay rent during a deadly pandemic? Why can't Biden just print the money? You're printing the money for 20 years in Afghanistan at this point. Literally 20 years in Afghanistan this year. Tony, we are living in a third term of Obama. I actually think it's worse. I think this is going to be worse than Obama because I think Biden's actually more to the right than Obama. This is a really interesting thing. And I actually think Tom Perez, the former DNC chair, just kind of said the quiet part out loud. Because if you didn't notice, Tom Perez, the Democratic Party, rigged the election, the Democratic primary, particularly the Iowa caucus against Bernie this year. And I think he just, in an interview with the New York Times, I think he kind of just said the quiet part out loud because here's the question. I'm aware, but what does the private citizen Tom Perez think? 
the New York Times reporter asked him as far as whether Iowa should be uh, the first state, uh, the Iowa caucus should remain first or not. Tom Perez answered, a diverse state or states need to go be first. The difference between going first and third is really important. We know the importance of momentum in the Democratic primaries. Let me repeat that. Perez says on whether Iowa should remain first. A diverse state or states needs to be first. The difference between going first and going third is really important. We know the importance of momentum in the Democratic primaries. Why? What do I mean by that's the quiet part out loud? Well, if you remember, uh, let me find it. So I broke a story recently uh, in The Intercept basically exposing what, it, what the, the true tentacles of how they rigged Iowa. Uh, if you haven't read it, I'll drop the link in the super chat. But what I learned from multiple sources was the DNC, meaning Tom Perez, they actually stepped in two weeks before the Iowa caucus. They stepped in two weeks before the Iowa caucus. And they demanded that this shadow app, yes, it was called shadow, Two weeks before the caucus, that shadow basically create a new software so that Tom Perez and the DNC could get the real-time numbers as they were coming in that night before they were released to the public. So the basic common sense question would be, why did Tom Perez and the DNC need to see the real-time numbers before they were released to the public? Why wouldn't you leave that to the Iowa State Party to verify the numbers, to take them in? Why did you need a new piece of software two weeks before? Why did you need to reinvent the wheel with an app in the first place when in the good old days, we just called in the results from each caucus location and didn't have a problem? And I learned through other sources, they didn't do this for any other primary or caucus. In New Hampshire, they didn't ask for the results first or in real time. South Carolina, they didn't ask for the real time results. Nevada, they didn't ask for the real-time results. It was just Iowa. And why is it that Tom Perez and the DNC, they didn't even put their thumb on the scale. They can put their whole body naked on the scale. All, all, all the stops to make sure Bernie Sanders didn't win Iowa. Why do you think that is? Well, he just told you why that is. We know the importance of momentum in Democratic primaries, they knew, they knew that if Bernie Sanders won Iowa and was declared the winner of Iowa, then this train has left the station and it's going to be hard to take it back. They knew if Bernie Sanders were, w- would have won Iowa, well, he cleaned Hillary Clinton's clock in New Hampshire. I think he won by 15 or 20 points. I don't remember. So if Bernie wins Iowa, he's going to win New Hampshire again. If Bernie wins Iowa and New Hampshire, well, Nevada is next. Bernie did pretty damn well. Bernie won Nevada in 2016, if memory serves me correct. So the Democratic National Committee, their mentality was, I don't care what we got to do. I don't care. We'll, We'll borrow the playbook out of the mafia if we have to. Stop Bernie Sanders. We cannot let him build momentum. And we saw what happened. And by the way, you know, there's been this debate about uh, election fraud and what is election fraud and what is not. Well, when the unelected 
well, Tom Perez technically was elected by not not by the people. When unelected, when unelected bodies known as the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee literally rigged primaries by, as my story for The Intercept showed, they literally demanded that the Iowa State Party not report the results that night because of the software glitch when the reality was they didn't want the results reported because the results showed Bernie had won the first round. He won the second round. The first round, he won by 6,000 votes. Second round, which is the final round, I think by 2,000. So he won the popular vote. They didn't want those numbers out there. And they also didn't, they didn't even want it out there that it was basically a tie because that would have given Bernie Sanders momentum. Most importantly, and this is how the media is complicit, because Tom Perez and the DNC understand a lot of the primary is about forming the narrative, creating the narrative, who could beat Trump, uh, creating the narrative, who has the best shot? Well, how how does uh, the primary process work? Whoever wins Iowa gets a huge, huge bump heading into New Hampshire. Whoever wins Iowa gets days of media coverage as the winner of Iowa, which usually lifts them in the polls leading into New Hampshire. One of the major, major uh, things that hurt Bernie Sanders was after the media basically christened Pete Buttigieg as the winner of Iowa, which was total bullshit, he went up in the polls between Iowa and New Hampshire, which was seven days, 10 points. I remember I went to New Hampshire after Iowa. I was online, I think a Sunday morning. Judge was having an event at a high school. You had people online in the winter. It was freezing for, I think, like a block to get in. And I interviewed people online and so many of them told me, yeah, I wasn't, he wasn't really on my radar, but now that he's won Iowa, I'm checking him out. He didn't win Iowa. But Tom Perez and the DNC made sure that that narrative was started on the night of the Iowa caucus and the media help them do it. That's how primaries get rigged. It's not only about the machines being rigged, which is possible. Machines can uh, be manipulated. It's not only about polling places being closed at the last minute, which is a serious voter suppression. It's about an unelected body of bureaucrats that are servants for Wall Street, servants for the fossil servants for big pharma, servants for big real estate, servants for Silicon Valley, servants for the defense contractors, servants for the servants for special interests, servants for the United Corporations of America. It's about them 